Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'm your host. If you've listened to the previous episodes in this series, you'll know that we've been setting the scene by exploring the operational mechanics of the portable sanitation industry. I'm going to carry on with that today, but as the series goes on, we'll look more and more at the people side of the industry. I'm lining up guests from businesses to come in and share their experience, give us an insight into the way they operate, and talk about what makes them tick. Today, though, I'm going to look at some of the essential equipment used by providers, the vacuum pump and holding tank. This is the equipment that you need to empty toilets and then transport and dispose of septic waste. I'm going to mention some of the different makes and models, but this really isn't a review and I'm not here to favour any particular brands or gear. You usually buy this equipment from a specialist supplier as a complete system ready to go, but I'm going to break it down and look at each of the main components in turn. I'll start with the vacuum pump. At the heart of every sanitation rig is a vacuum pump. This works by expelling air and other gases from the holding tank to create a vacuum, which then causes suction when the driver opens the valve on the end of the hose. Some of the common makes of vacuum pump that I've seen include Conti, which is made by Westmore in the US, Massport made here in New Zealand, and Battioni Pagani made in Italy. If I was going out to buy a vacuum pump today, my choice would be influenced by what was available locally and what level of aftermarket support I could expect to receive. Having to wait three or four weeks for spare parts would really cost a business in the long run, so I'd want to make sure I had ready access to after-sales service and support to keep the pump in working condition. Whichever make of pump you choose, it needs to be powered or driven, and there are two options. An integrated pump where the unit is driven by the power takeoff or hydraulic system from the truck and a motorised option where the unit is driven by a separate engine, often called a donkey motor. Where the pump is integrated and driven by the PTO, it requires it usually to be connected permanently to the truck. The downside of that is that if the truck's out of action for service or repair, you can't do any work. Units driven by a donkey are usually mounted on a chassis or frame alongside the tank and motor. And that means that if the truck's out of action, you can lift the unit off and put it on another vehicle and carry on working. Now pumps are usually set to create suction so that toilets can be emptied, but it's really useful if you can reverse them to make them blow, and that's called counterclockwise rotation or CCR. The benefit of being able to blow is that it lets you empty the tank under pressure, and that's essential if the wastewater discharge point is above ground level. Now some local dump stations have the manhole or grate on the floor, and that lets you discharge by gravity alone. But the one here in Christchurch sits just above my knee, and the one in Nelson at the top of the South Island is set above chest height. In those situations, it's absolutely impossible to discharge by gravity. You need to reverse the pump to draw air into the tank to create higher pressure and force the weight out through the outlet valve. Now you have to be careful. I've seen at least two drivers get absolutely covered in septic waste from head to toe because they opened the valve without the hose when the tank was pressurised. Not nice. When you empty the toilet, you obviously need somewhere to put the waste and that's usually in a steel or aluminium tank mounted on the truck or on the skids that you can lift on and off. Steel tends to be heavier and is vulnerable to corrosion. Aluminium can be lighter, but it also corrodes. It develops a furry coating that can hide pitting and cracks, and I have seen an aluminium tank fail through corrosion. 
I've never seen a vacuum tank made out of plastic, Kevlar or fiberglass, but if you've got one and you're using it, get in touch and we'd like to feature that on the show. The shape of the tank is important. If it's a box or rectangular with six sides, it will typically have 12 seams and welded seams are susceptible to corrosion. Tubular tanks are usually made from one sheet rolled to form a cylinder before the two ends are attached, which means they only have three seams. And you know, tubular tanks are incredibly strong. In May 2018, a toilet truck with a cylinder-shaped tank left the road and rolled 20 metres down a steep gully on the Banks Peninsula near Christchurch. Although the truck was totaled, the driver escaped without harm, and so did the holding tank, even though it landed upside down in a river and collided with a large boulder that I'm sure would have crushed a tank with flat sides. The next consideration is the size of the tank. Obviously, the bigger the tank, the more toilets you can empty, but that needs to be balanced. A tank that holds 2,500 litres of waste might seem an ideal size, but it's probably too big for a daily service run, and it will definitely put the truck over the weight limit for a Class 1 or light vehicle. Operating heavier trucks brings a whole set of complexity that I'm going to talk about in future episodes. Everyone knows that liquid sloshes around when you move it in a container. Think about what happens if you move a wheelbarrow that's filled up with rainwater. Septic waste and fresh water will slosh around in the holding tank in exactly the same way. Now that has an important effect on how you mount the tank on the truck and how you drive. If you mount the tank across the truck in a transverse fashion, the weight will shift from one side of the tank to the other when you turn a corner, and that will change the centre of gravity and affect the stability of the truck. In a worst case scenario, it could lead to a rollover. If you mount the truck longitudinally, with the tank running from front to back, when you brake or accelerate, the liquid will slam forwards or slosh back, and that can put additional strain on the wheels and suspension, it makes the cab bounce up and down, and I don't know about you, but it makes me feel seasick. Those stability issues means that sanitation drivers need to adapt their driving style to suit the nature of their load, and that load goes up and down during the day. In Auckland in 2018, a sanitation truck with a slide-in unit rolled over as a driver rounded a bend. It seems the tank was mounted on a metal deck, and as the truck turned, the weight shifted, the entire tank slid across the deck, and the truck rolled over. Photographs from the scene show that the tank was held down by two strops thrown over the top of the tank. Now I would always argue you need to fix the tank with four strops low down on the frame, one in each corner. That greatly reduces the chance that the tank can move. And it's interesting to note as well that in some parts of the US, local ordinance prohibits the use of slide-in or skid-mounted units. A listener called Clarence messaged me from New Mexico and said that in his state, sanitation providers are not allowed to use sliding units. And I'd love to know whether that's based on safety concerns or whether there's another agenda behind that decision. The last piece of kit I want to talk about today is the suction hose. And this is used to take the waste from the toilet to the tank and from the tank to the discharge point. It's typically polyethylene with a smooth inside bore and ridges or spirals around the outside, and that prevents the hose collapsing under pressure. Hoses tend to be 75 millimeters or three inches in diameter for suction and 100 millimeters or four inches for discharge. And the operators I know tend to run with 20 meters of suction hose, which gives them plenty of reach if they can't park close to the toilet. 
There are lots of different makes and colours of hose, but some of them have a memory and they mould to the shape that they're hung in on the truck. And that means that it's a real wrestle every time you lift them off, you have to fight with the hose to get it to go in the direction you want, especially in cold weather. The hoses that are more supple and nicer to handle usually cost a lot more, and I know that can be a major consideration for providers, but when you're lifting it on and off the truck 20, 30, 40 times a day, your shoulders, arms, back and legs will absolutely love you for spending the cash. You can't get away from the fact portable toilet operations are noisy. Truck engines make noise, donkey motors make noise, PTOs make noise, and vacuum pumps make noise. One of the most common complaints about portable toilet workers is that they turn up on site at five or six in the morning, turn on their pumps and wake up absolutely everyone in the neighborhood. A lot of that noise is because the driver has overread the motor or the PTO in the belief that greater engine speed increases the amount of suction. It doesn't. A vacuum is a vacuum, no more, no less. The force of suction is determined by the volume of the pump and the size of the hose, how much air can be displaced in a given amount of time. Revving the engine doesn't make the pump suck any stronger and it doesn't create a stronger vacuum. It might reduce the amount of time it takes to create the vacuum, but that's only marginal because the air is still being purged through the same diameter outlet or exhaust. Increasing the revs does put more stress on linkages, it does generate more noise and more heat, and it burns more fuel. But honestly, I've seen it time and time again. My advice to drivers is keep the revs down, start the pump as soon as you arrive on site, get your gear out, be patient, and let the vacuum pump do its thing. A quieter option would be a battery-powered or electric pump, and these are certainly available to buy, but I've never seen one on a sanitation truck, and again, if you're using one, please get in touch and we'll run a feature on the show. Okay, that's the end of today's show. Next week, I'm going to talk about chemical treatments used by sanitation providers and learn about a product that's been described as the most significant development in wastewater treatment technology since the 1950s. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to subscribe and don't hesitate to get in touch if you want to discuss anything I've mentioned today. You can message me through Anchor or Facebook or email podcast at getflushed.online. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast.